Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue in our series, God's Provision, but we're moving from Psalm 23 to Psalm 37. So let's join Dr. Newfeld as he brings us a message entitled, Thriving in Evil Times. just a little while, I'm going to read all 40 verses of a wonderful psalm, Psalm 37. You know, in this week, I have just completed a three-day study of Psalm 23, and this, Psalm 37, is a marvelous companion to that psalm. If in Psalm 23, David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and then he shows us that we have no need to be in want, even when surrounded by our enemies, well, Psalm 37 draws on that theme. Psalm 37 assures us that God will not forsake his people. So let me read this very lengthy psalm. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken." Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread." He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. 
I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he is no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps him and delivers him. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Psalm 37 contains a great many verses that believers have held as precious over the years. How many of you have claimed verse 4 as a promise from God? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or how many of you have claimed verses 23 and 24? The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Or how many of you remember that Jesus quoted verse 11 in his famous Sermon on the Mount? But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You know, the fact is that this psalm contains so many precious promises and goes on for 40 verses that I have known from the outset that I simply can't do justice to this magnificent psalm in the two days that that I've reserved for it. Simply reading it will give you more than I can say. But did you also know that this psalm was written like Psalm 23 when David was an old man looking back on his life? You get that from verse 25. I have been young, now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know, that would mean that David had lived through so many things. He had defeated Goliath, he had been persecuted by Saul and treated as an enemy of Israel even though he was innocent. He became king and won the Lord's battles. He had seen his own son Absalom lead a rebellion against him. In short, David had seen times of wild success and times when evil had almost triumphed. And as an old man, he wants to say something about what we should do during those times when evil seems to be winning. Psalm 23 and 37 are two wonderful psalms that should be read side by side. In Psalm 23, David says that because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. And we notice that when David is in the presence of his enemies, even there he is left without wanting. But now in Psalm 37, David stretches out the thought of enemies. Indeed, in Psalm 37, he portrays enemies all around him. In verse 12, he says, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. In verse 14, he says, The wicked are drawing the sword and bending the bow to bring down the needy. Wicked people are all around, and we sense that using the language of Psalm 23, David has descended into the valley of the shadow of death. You know, some of you, if you are old enough and are a baseball fan, will remember Major League Baseball pitcher Dave Dravecki. Now, Dave Dravecki had a good career, first with the San Diego Padres and then the San Francisco Giants. But when a cancerous tumor was found in his pitching arm in, in 1986, he was forced out of the game. And after treatments and a long comeback, he was back with San Francisco and his comeback in 1989 of an all-star pitcher was publicized everywhere. He pitched his first game against Cincinnati and won 4-3. He really was back. And then came that fateful game in Montreal against the Montreal Expos. And yes, Montreal really did have a baseball team way back when. 
Well, Dravecki started out well, pitching a no-hitter in the first three innings, but something was wrong. It began when he started feeling a tingling sensation in his pitching arm, and then, as everyone who ever watched that awful moment in the fifth inning remembers, he hurled the ball, and everyone heard that, that loud crack as his humerus bone snapped and his arm broke, and Dravecki fell to the ground, writhing in pain. The arm was dangling and twisted. That event was played and replayed over and over again on television. And Tess later revealed that the cancer was back, and Dravecki's left arm and his entire shoulder had to be completely amputated. But Dravecki was a Christian, and like David of old, he had known both wonderful highs and terrible lows. And, and here's what he wrote. He said, looking back, my wife Jan and I learned that the wilderness is a part of the landscape of faith, and every bit as essential as the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we're overwhelmed by God's presence. In the wilderness, we're overwhelmed by his absence. Both places should bring us to our knees, the one in utter awe and the other in utter dependence. You don't want to take us to the place that David takes us, to the wilderness. You know, the wilderness is a place where evil seems to be winning, where wicked men and women seem to be gaining the ascendancy, and where those who hope in the Lord wonder why it is that God seems to have forgotten them. You know, today, as persecution against believers is felt around the world, many Christians are there today. But the wilderness is also felt in other places. You know, some Christians struggle financially and don't understand why they struggle and why it is that so many of the wicked seem to have all they want. And some Christians who are going through serious illness wonder why they are ill and others are nothing short of evildoers and yet are living to the age of 95. And as Teresa of Avila, the Christian mystic from the Middle Ages, once said, God, if that's how you treat your friends, it's a small wonder you have so few of them. Well, I don't advocate talking to God that way, but sometimes that's how we feel. The wilderness is never a nice place. And if you're there, I wonder how you're doing spiritually. And things get really complicated when the wilderness is accompanied by evil men who seek to do us harm. And David, who in Psalm 23 says, our souls lie down in quiet, and yet Psalm 37 defines how that can be so. Now's the time to be thinking about a family getaway this coming winter. Time to get away to enjoy fun, fellowship, laughter. Restore yourself while being spiritually refreshed. That's right, join Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway for our fifth anniversary Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise. Sail the seas, enjoy the beach, spend some early morning devotions under the teaching and encouragement of Back to the Bible Canada's host and leader of our young adult ministry in doubt, Isaac Dagno, and enjoy incredible music and worship with award-winning musical artist, Rika. This is an event for the entire family and a time to celebrate God's incredible faithfulness. So join Phil and friends this coming February 3rd to the 10th on one of Royal Caribbean's greatest ships, the Oasis of the Seas, as we sail the Caribbean. Call today for details at 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca. you know that some of us have this awful feeling that when we're in the wilderness, it's a sign that we're doing poorly spiritually. But that's not necessarily so. Being in the wilderness is where God leads us. 
The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God wanted him there, and David knew that. And as an old man who had seen times when the wicked thrived and when the righteous seemed to fail, David has counsel for every one of us who put our hope in God. You know, as I tried to find a way to help us understand this psalm, I I broke this psalm into three parts. We'll study the first part today and the last two parts tomorrow. You know, as I examined this psalm, I saw that a part of this psalm consisted of commands, another part of descriptions, and a third part of promises. And so rather than following through the psalm as I normally would verse by verse, let's see if we can first get a handle on the commands that are found here. As we examine the commands, let's notice that God gives the righteous, rather clear commands in evil times. Here's the first. Don't become emotionally distraught. Now, this command seems to be connected to Psalm 23. The good shepherd leads us to quiet waters and prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But here in Psalm 37, it comes in the form of a command. Don't become emotionally distraught over the presence and activity of evil people. You know, when you examine this psalm, you'll notice that three times in verse 1, then verse 7, and then verse 8, it tells us not to fret. Fret not, the psalm repeats, not once, but three times. People who fret become emotionally distraught. They're upset. They're disturbed. Sometimes they become bitter. Sometimes they become angry with God. In fact, as I read through this psalm, not only are we told not to fret, But notice a couple of other commands. Start with verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. You see, David knows that right after being emotionally distraught because of the evil that men do, follows envy. Why has the person who has done so much harm had such an easy path through life, and I have had a tough one? And soon our anxiety level rises, and soon we become angry. Soon we're convinced that a major injustice has been done to us. God, this makes no sense whatsoever. And that sounds very familiar to what was said in in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? Here's the question. And some of us are bitter with God because of it. We fret, we become envious. But David wants us to remain calm. Look now at verse 3, the second line. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now, as you can easily see, that also is a command. It means don't try to run away. Stay put. Do nothing rash. Do nothing you'll be sorry for later. You know, I love these words from Lawrence Peter. He said, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. The same thing can be said about making decisions when we're angry. In verse 7, David says, be still. Notice the verse, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Again, it's a command. And in in verse 8, still another command, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Don't let feelings of it's not fair or I want to know why flood your heart. And certainly, Don't respond by lashing out in rage. Many of us know that you can't answer every question on this side of eternity. A number of things will happen to you you can't explain. You will, on this side of eternity, encounter very evil people, 
people who care only for themselves and, and who do harm in order to get ahead. These people are people of violence, either physical violence or even economic violence. Stay calm. Don't become afraid. Don't try to run away. Don't try to answer every question about why God would allow this. Don't become angry. Become calm. You know, sometimes we just need to get into a quiet place. Now, there have been numerous times in my life when I've just found a quiet place and have spent anywhere from a couple of hours to once a full week and haven't spoken to a soul. No TV, no radio, just quietness. And it's made all the difference, and that's the first command in this psalm. Now, notice the second. Keep your heart centered on God. Notice how often and in how many ways David tells us this, beginning of verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. The beginning of verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. In other words, be confident that God is in control. Y'all never forget a number of years ago when Dr. John Piper was speaking in my pulpit. He had a word of counsel that he gave to parents of children. He said, Moms and dads, the first thing to teach your kids is not to love God. For they might think that loving God is just one more thing that they have to do for God. Teach them, above all things, to trust in God. Be confident. God will never forsake you. God will watch over you, even during nightmares. God will hold your hand, even when you're afraid. And when they learn to trust Him, you can teach them to love Him. Have you noticed what a lifelong lesson that is? So that when evil times are upon us, things haven't changed. Just keep trusting. And David goes on. Look at verse 4a. Delight yourself in the Lord. I know we spend so much time in the second part of that verse, he will give you the desires of your heart. And we do well to remember that promise, but look at the command. Find pleasure in God. Find God your highest joy. Long for him. You know, I don't know about you, but I find pleasure in riding my motorcycle or in watching football. But more importantly, I find pleasure in my family, my wife, my kids, my grandchildren. One of the most pleasurable moments is when everybody is home and they all end up talking about everything under the sun and laughing, and I I just sit there quietly, and I'm, I'm happy, and I say I'm rich. But the joys that I have described are not compared to the joy of God. The pleasure we find in God simply make all the other pleasures a mere shadow of that which is truly pleasure. I long to see him one day. And I'm delighted that he has promised me that nothing can snatch me out of his hand. I'm overwhelmed by his attributes, and I'm stunned that he has promised to use those attributes for my long-term benefit. What pleasure. And in the meantime, I've got to fight for joy, the joy of the Lord. So you, you notice also in verse 5, commit your way to him. In other words, in evil times, simply commit to the Lord that you will follow his way, even when you can't see the results. As Micah 4 verse 5 reminds us, for all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So David commands, don't become distraught and keep your heart on God. Then he adds a third command, remain obedient to God. Verse 3 says, do good and then befriend faithfulness. Make faithfulness to God your friend. Verse 27 adds, turn away from evil. And then it later repeats those words, do good. Verse 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. I hope you're getting the point. When times are good and when times are tough, our response must be exactly the same. 
If all men praise us, we're obedient. If all men slander us and speak evil against us, we're obedient. After all, our dealings are not with them, they're with God. Keep your heart on God. Remain obedient. Be involved in ministry. Keep going to your prayer group. Keep serving. Keep doing your devotions. Keep reading your Bible. Meditate, pray, rejoice. Do the same stuff you've always done. And even if they should call you a hypocrite and a liar and seek your undoing, just remain rooted. I'm reminded of Daniel. His enemies had made it illegal for him to pray to his God, and so he doesn't panic. He doesn't complain to God. How did you let this happen? He just opens his window at the same time as always. He gets on his knees and faces Jerusalem and is faithful to God. Illness, persecution, death in your family, loss of income, your friends turning against you, or health, good fortune, good job, and fame, none of those ought to keep us from faithfulness to God. Those, says David, are God's commands to the godly man or woman. Do not fret. And if today you're in evil times and you face the evil that others have done to you, remember that God has commanded you, continue to be faithful. Open your window to Jerusalem and pray to your God. And how do we do that? How is it possible to remain consistent when that's not how we feel and when we feel like lashing out? Ah, the answer to that has to do with what God has promised us. So join me tomorrow as we discuss the promises found in Psalm 37. John, I'm going to touch on a sensitive issue for myself, and it's that of obedience. How do we keep connected to obedience? Well, Ben, I don't know outside of this. I can't remember to be obedient. So I'm I'm relying on the Word of God, regularly reading it, and it continues to bring me back to the commands, and the commands teach me what God wants. I would forget on my own, and if I'm not reading my Bible, it's amazing how I forget and I start fretting over all sorts of evil that's happening in the world, and I completely lose my focus. You know, we teach the Bible here at Back the Bible, and I think we're trying to model for people that while you continue to keep your mind focused on the Word of God, God, in a marvelous way, uh, reminds us of what He wants for us. I think that's the only answer that I have. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for our last in this series, God's Provision, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. On April 28, 2019, Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and guests are headed out for our third Israel experience. Each of the last two tours reminded us again of the spiritual impact a journey to the Holy Land has upon a follower of Jesus. Walk where Jesus walked, stand where Moses, Abraham, Jacob, and Paul journeyed with God. Spend time in prayer and worship under the teaching of Dr. Neufeld at the Garden Tomb, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Sea of Galilee, and so much more. This is a trip of a lifetime, and we invite you to join us. For information or to register, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And remember, space is limited to ensure the most intimate of Holy Land experiences, so register today and avoid disappointment. One further reminder, all the costs related to Back to the Bible Canada tours or events are paid for by the participants.